welcome to the Place Northwest Masterclass podcast series, where experts share their wisdom on key aspects of the property industry. We're tackling everything from how to convert a listed building to the best way to hold a public consultation. Don't miss a single episode. Subscribe now at placenorthwest.co.uk slash subscribe or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And welcome to the Place Northwest Masterclass Podcast Series. I'm your host for today's episode, Julia Hatmaker. And today we're talking all about public consultation. We'll start by going over the basics, establishing what a consultation is and why we do them before going into detail about some key mistakes to avoid. We'll conclude with a case study, which will show us what a successful consultation looks like in practice. Joining me today are some public consultation experts, Tom Morrison and Annabelle John at Copper Consultancy. Copper has provided insight and advice on community engagement and creative communications for more than 50 nationally significant infrastructure projects across a wide variety of sectors. So Tom, Annabelle, thank you so much for joining me on today's podcast. Thanks very much for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. All right. So let's get dig into the basics. Really basic question to start us out with. What is a consultation? So I'm going to take that. Um, so public consultation is essentially a a process that involves the public and stakeholders providing their views and feedback on a proposal that, and that feedback is then kind of used in decision-making or to shape whatever the proposal is. Um, it can apply to infrastructure and development, um, but it can also be linked to changes to public service, for example, I don't know, library closures or changes to hospital services, um, or the government obviously runs lots of consultation programs on legislative change and, and things like that. So I guess essentially it is a process that lets people provide their views and feedback um, that can then be used to, to help shape whatever the outcome might be. People do consultations for different reasons as well. So for some companies, um, it might be because they want to increase stakeholder support for an initiative. They want to improve their brand image. There's some kind of external risk they want to find out more about. Um, but for others, it might be as simple or as complex as, as meeting a regulatory requirement to find out what people think about things. Um, I think from our perspective, um, consultation is a really, really valuable exercise, um, but it represents a kind of moment in time um, in the context of infrastructure and development. Uh, we often wait until we have kind of vast amounts of technical information and then we run an in-depth consultation on it. Um, the project team might then go away for another what feels like really long period of time, do more work behind the scenes and then come back and kind of run another formal consultation process before submitting a a planning application. And I think from certainly my perspective, and, and Tom may well have other, other views or different views, but that creates two main challenges. So the first for me is that it kind of drives projects to create quite long and unwieldy materials that kind of assume whoever's reading them has the time or ability to make sense of complex 
detailed technical information, uh, which isn't always the case. Um, And the second is kind of a communications challenge, if you like. You have to spend quite a long time explaining what you're doing or why you're consulting people. And then you go away for months on end and you have to kind of start again if you don't speak to them in the intervening period. And I think as an industry, we like quite long gaps between we talk between talking to people for consultations. And um, we can talk about this a little bit further um, during the course of the, the session. But we really support a slightly more enlightened in some ways kind of ongoing program of engagement and communications that sits alongside consultation but enables a bit more of a continuous dialogue between you know the company and and the public and stakeholders rather than just this as I said kind of moment in time piece. So if I have this right then so a consultation is a formalized period of time in which the community can engage with a project that's going to impact them whether it's infrastructure or it's a housing development or just like a policy that's going to go into the whole um, process of their lives and during that time they can engage with it and ideally they can have some sort of impact and have a say in what happens at the end of the day. So it sounds like engagement is this really vital part of a consultation. Is that right, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think it, the, the general feeling is if you don't engage with a, the community properly and then no one kind of gets involved in that consultation, then it's just not worthwhile at all. Um, so I, I'd actually say that, con- that engagement is actually the more important thing here. Consultations is often statutory and um, you'll have guidance from whether it's a local authority, even the government will, will, will tell you that you have to consult. But if you're not making something, um, as Annabelle said, if you're not speaking to people in a way that they would understand a proposal or in a way that would allow them the opportunity to feed back with um, relevant information and relevant insights and relevant opinion, then there is no point in doing it whatsoever. Um, and that's where consultations for me should be judged on as how engaged the communities and stakeholders in on a particular consultation program. I love that because it sounds like it's not as much about just getting people on board with something to get them to be like, yeah, I like this. It's about having them be involved. Absolutely. And and I, I just add to that, I think, Um, engagement allows project teams to access feedback kind of as and when they need it. So if they're beavering away doing lots of technical information, there might be a point where it makes sense to ask people for their thoughts on it or gather their feedback on it. Often, you know, local communities have extremely valuable insight into a local area that, um, why wait until a really formal consultation period to get that when actually you can be feeding it into the kind of ongoing projects development and um, and it have a really, you know, help change or influence a project rather than you get so far down the line, it feels harder to then kind of row back and change proposals and things. So, so there's actually a, a kind of genuine benefit to project teams as they're, as they're developing proposals as well. Um, I think the other thing that engagement perhaps enables that that maybe consultation doesn't for major infrastructure and development is getting a wider group of people than those directly impacted by proposals to feel like they want to share their thoughts about a project. Um, I think formal consultation and statutory process can drive you down a route to where you're kind of only interested in talking to people who live within, you know, 
50 metres of where you want to build your new road or your housing development or whatever it might be. And of course, those people's opinions is really, really important. Um, But there's also a need to talk to those who might benefit more broadly from a project that's, you know, being developed or who might be the kind of end customer, if you like, of what you're trying to build um, to get a bit more, I guess, balance in the the discussion. That's fantastic. I feel like I'm just so glad you guys are here having this discussion because I feel like sometimes people hear the term consultation and they're just kind of like, oh, fine, I got to go do this thing and talk with people. And it sounds like they can be so much more than just a formal regulatory procedure. They can actually really help build up a scheme and make it better. And it's all good news. You should do it anyway, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, it, a, a good consultation and good engagement can lead to a much better uh, development and proposal in the long run. There was there was one project I worked on a couple of years ago, where um, it was a large mixed use scheme over in Lancashire, and um, whilst we did we we made a very very distinct um, strategy not to just engage with the people around the sites who are going to be directly impacted, but actually reach out wider into the community and and just through luck, well luck and just through our strategy, we found. A, um, there was a sea cadets group that were really needing a new base for their for their 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 quarters, so to speak. And um, then the developer got in touch with them and managed to incorporate a new base for the sea cadets within the new development. And that wouldn't have happened if we hadn't been engaging with a wider community. Um, so I think that's that's a really good example of where actually development um, uh, engagement around development can create a much better and uh, sustainable proposal. So how do you know you have a successful consultation or not? Clients often ask us this and and some people say, is it based on the number of people that respond to the consultation? So who fill in a feedback form or something like that. And for me, that that actually isn't a very helpful measure because um, as Tom alluded to, if if you embrace particularly digital technology, you can use lots of metrics to see how long people are engaging with your content for, for example. So if people are coming to your website, spending time reading information, watching animations, reading, um, you know, reading your content, then that's actually, for me, that is a measure of success. People are, it means you've put together the information in a way that they are getting what they need from it. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean that they then have to follow through and comment. So volume of comments is is not a good measure for me it's about how how people engage and how i think what numbers of people kind of want to find out more through the promotional material that you've put out there is a is a really really good measure for me um and i think from a community perspective anyway or a stakeholder perspective um where people have genuinely been able to shape something it's, it, that's a really, really powerful feeling for, for local people. And um, if, if you're able to do that through a consultation process, then I think that's something that, that developers should feel really proud about, actually, and, and I think is not always the case. Fantastic. So consultations are a tool, not a burden. With that, let's move on to our next section, which is things to avoid when you're holding a public consultation. Annabelle, can you give me one thing you think we should definitely avoid? Using a one-size-fits-all approach, um, as I just talked about, um, 
we potentially got lots of different audience groups who are interested in a project for different ways. So it might be because it's being built, you know, in the field next door to them. Um, it might be because they want to use the piece of infrastructure that's being built. And those people will have different needs in how you communicate with them, how you engage with them, how you consult with them. So that that's my first one to kick things off. I like it. So what are some different approaches you can use then? So I think, I think first of all, before you even start talking to people, really kind of investing up front in insight and understanding who might be interested in your project is is how I would start it, because that is the thing that is going to help shape what communications channel you might use. So is the local paper where people get all of their information from, or actually is Facebook the most important thing, or, or even TikTok or things like that these days? So I think the kind of profile of the the people that you're talking to really helps feed how you then share information what type of content you need to create and and again i think the the kind of statutory and regulatory process can force people or or make people think that they have to do things in maybe a more traditional manner so we have to write a letter or i need to put a poster up in you know a place that actually people don't really go to or, or or that sort of thing so I think really understanding your audience means that you can tailor your approach and create bespoke content that's actually going to resonate with people and and ultimately if people are interested in your proposal you have to get you have to get get people interested before they're going to get to the point of taking action, which is then providing feedback in your consultation or coming to an event that you're hosting or, or whatever it might be. So it sounds like there's two key mistakes to avoid there. One of which is, as you said, using the one size fits all approach, but then two, just not knowing your audience. So how do you make sure that you know them then, Tom? So I think... I think that's, I mean, Annabelle stole my thunder there because I was going to say <laughs> not understanding. And Annabelle's normally doing that. Um, well, <laughs> not understanding um, not understanding the communities you're working in is a, a huge mistake. And I think that often people will start a consultation with like a really kind of top to bottom approach and they'll think about, right, I need to speak to the councillors or the MP or the leader of the council. But actually, it's the the communities that shape the decisions. It's the communities that shape a political direction of a council. It's a community that shapes the character of an area. So really, you've got to get under underneath the skin of those communities and figure out what are their drivers, what are their ambitions, what, what are the traditions, the culture of particular communities. And you could do that for a, a, a range, of re, range of ways uh, to do. So, um, for instance, we have a, a particular uh, tool that we use at Copper um, called uh, Communify, and it, it is a data tool that allows us to kind of look at the demographics of an area and we can build up a picture of um, kind of what people may be like there. Or you could just do some desktop research and find out, you know, who are the local community groups? Are there kind of, are there Facebook groups that people post on and what what things, what interests people have on those Facebook groups? I, I mean, where I live, I've got a really good community Facebook, uh, Facebook group that people are constantly putting in local news and events and all sorts. So you can build a, up a uh, like a characterization of an area and understand their drivers there. So there are a whole host of tools. And I think actually... Because there are so many tools, the biggest kind of crime, I'd say, is not getting to understand the community that you're going to be working with, because that leads to all sorts of problems later on down the road. 
Okay, so we're going to focus on more than just the top p- political decision makers. We're going to you know, spread our net wide and try and find the whole community. That could include going on Facebook, which I'm glad you mentioned, because I feel like I'm never told <laughs> to go on social media. So there was like, get on Facebook, exciting stuff. We're going to not use the one size fits all approach. Um, it, it feels like then it can go beyond just your standard letter and event, as you mentioned before, Annabelle. So what are some other consultation methods then? So I think if, if anything positive has come out of the COVID pandemic from the kind of world of infrastructure, it's that I think the way it's forced everyone to embrace digital technology. Um, and I think that's helped modernize um, how we go about running kind of consultation and engagement programs. So uh, I think that's helped people create more digestible content. It's helped create better websites and things for projects. Like that is how people consume and access information in today's world. And, you know, projects kind of standing blindly in village halls is not, perhaps not where people are. You're going to get a very certain type of person coming there. Um, And actually, I think, yeah, as I said, that that's been a real positive step change over the last couple of years. So I think going, going digital is really important. It doesn't mean you should only go digital. There is still very much a need for face-to-face engagement, particularly with parts of the community that that need it. But um, yeah, considering different channels for reaching people, I think is the, the biggest for me. Um, and I think keeping that program ongoing beyond consultation milestones, as we've already talked about, is, is the other part. So you need to keep people interested, keep building support or having discussion around your around your project right throughout it you know even if you've submitted your planning application it's still important to keep people interested because at some point in time you're going to come back and build the thing and that might cause disruption for people so you need relationships with people so that you can have a sensible conversation about how to minimize that disruption for example so um yeah don't don't call it quits too early with your kind of comms activity around around projects. I feel like that, that would be very tempting as well because you'd be like, well, I had this event or the plans are now in, so I'm done. And it's like, no, it continues on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so I've got our three tips. We're going to we're gonna make sure that we know our audience. We're gonna make sure that we're being creative and kind of using multiple approaches rather than just being like every single consultation should run this cookie cutter way. And then we're gonna make sure that we don't end it too early. We're gonna understand that this is a you know this is a long term campaign, not a one event affair. And there's real value to maintaining and managing the relationships with the community that you build during the initial part of the consultation and engagement process, because we're about engagement, not consultation necessarily, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I just like getting feedback that I'm doing the right thing. So (laughs) I appreciate it. All right. Section three, you've given us some amazing tips, guys, uh, but I would like to hear about what these look like in practice. So can you tell me about, you know, what a successful consultation looks like that you guys have done before and how it incorporates all of these? So um, you guys have been working on HiNet, is that right? We have indeed. So um, HiNet is a kind of innovative, low carbon and hydrogen energy project. Uh, It's aiming to kind of unlock a low carbon economy for the northwest of England and North Wales. Uh, It's all about um, kind of decarbonizing 
the region's heavy industry, helping to kind of protect jobs, create new ones, and obviously critically help us in the kind of drive to, to net zero. Um, we got involved in the project a few years ago, um, just before it was going to enter a, a kind of more public facing stage. Um, and I think for me, one of the real strengths of the, the high net project and, and what the client team is particularly kind of passionate about is creating a, a wider brand around HiNet um, and a kind of communications campaign that sets the scene for what the project is about and helps people understand something that is actually quite complicated, um, first of all. So what that looked like was, as I said, creating a a brand so that the kind of visual look and feel supported the ambition of creating kind of accessible accessible materials, um, but also that kind of reflected that this is quite a forward-looking project and, you know, really critical to um, the next stage of kind of the UK's development in infrastructure terms. Um, there was a real focus on creating explainer materials and that spanned everything from kind of video content and infographics to social media activity and animation to really explain what HiNet is so that people could understand that first um, before they then went to engage in the kind of non-statutory consultation process through like a dedicated hub. Um, and that was really, really successful. Um, more than for the non-statutory consultation period, more than 8,000 people visited the consultation hub. And that was really, really driven by, engage, as I said, engaging explainer materials and promotion pr promotional materials, if you like, to kind of pique people's interest and then encourage them to actually share what they think. So that... Um, the project is is obviously ongoing. Um, we've run a, the formal statutory consultation period um, since then and have kind of carried that, um, I guess, that engaging approach into the more formal statutory consultation period um, as well. Um, and, you know, the project's kind of gearing up to submit its planning application uh, later on in the year. But um, the, the client team really, really embraced the need to explain and build understanding before you can sort of really consult on the detail of proposals. I feel like that's part of knowing your audience then, understanding that they may not have this technical background and, and really helping bring the scheme to them. Absolutely. So HiNet is a really complex ecosystem of projects, actually. So the part that we've been focused working on is a, it's a carbon capture pipeline. So essentially it will capture carbon at source and then pump it out into Liverpool Bay where it'll be stored. But there's also hydrogen production that's part of it, um, hydrogen pipelines. There's lots of different bits that kind of make up high net overall. And it's quite a lot to get your head around when you're kind of in the sector. So when you're trying to explain it to local communities um, and things, it's, it's quite complicated. Um, and so... Yeah, that that understanding was building understanding was really really critical. Um, partly because our experience generally shows us if people don't understand a complicated project, then that might drive kind of fear and and maybe negativity around it. Um, but that's born out of a lack of understanding. So you know that was really really important. Um, and and the project is actually 
as I said, critically important around the net zero agenda, but also protecting kind of heavy industry. You know, it's really, really important to the economy of the area and things like that. So there are lots of different strands as to why people should care. Um, but as I said, building that understanding um, was was the kind of first step on the journey. So Tom, this question is for you. I want to know, how did you guys make sure that you knew your audience? Um, I think that's, yeah, that's, it's what we talked about before. It's that kind of intrinsic, like research into an area. It's um, looking at various trends. It's kind of understanding what has worked in an area and what has not worked in an area as well. Um, I think there's also, though, that you can't just kind of, I think it's the key thing to remember here is that you don't just kind of sell, you know, what you think a community wants to hear. It's understanding what the, the community want, what's their kind of driver, but then also what are your ambitions or your clients' ambitions and finding those kind of bits where it's relevant to each and that kind of that synergy between the two. So there's a lot of work and that's where Annabelle was talking about the brand and identity, getting in there early to develop that brand. So it is not only just um, kind of uh, attractive and, and it allows people and makes people want to engage with it, but it kind of takes, it minimizes that kind of fear factor that Annabelle said. It kind of breaks down the information easily. If you can create a brand that makes people feel something rather than they just feel like it's just being done to them, that's really important. And I think that's exactly where Hynet um, has landed so well. Yeah, you guys definitely have been mentioned this repeatedly, this idea of engagement, how important that is. And, you know, you need to get everyone involved and actually make them feel involved and let them actually be involved. It's not just about a feeling, it's about, you know, actual reality there. And and I just add to that where I think being honest with uh, um, sort of stakeholders and local communities about what they can't influence is actually a really, really important part of the process as well. Um, there are inevitably technical constraints with developing, you know, major infrastructure projects. And I think sometimes as an industry, we can be scared about being open and honest. And that's actually the the kind of worst place to be. Um, so yeah, being having a genuine and honest conversation with people about kind of what's up for grabs and what can change and what is fixed because, you know, there's some constraint there is really, really important too. And Annabelle, you mentioned earlier about how you guys incorporated videos when it came into the high net consultations that were explainers. Was there other elements of tech that you guys included in the consultation process? So as part of the, the consultation hub, we had lots of interactive maps where people can kind of directly comment on areas that they're concerned with. Um, and that kind of generates heat maps and things like that. Um, in terms of the animation and video type content, we used a, a blend for that. So um, some was animation to explain what carbon capture is and what a carbon capture pipeline is. Um, and then some of that was a little bit softer with kind of talking heads of those involved in the project explaining why it's important and things like that. So we tried to create different types of content that would appeal to different people so that whatever entry point, I guess, they had to the project, there was something interesting for them, uh, which then obviously hopefully encouraged them to, to get involved in the, the consultation or, or want to learn and find out more. Tom, were you guys actually getting involved on those Facebook groups that you mentioned earlier? Um, well, we ha there are certain projects that we do. Um, and I was just going to say, actually, I'd add a top tip, utilize video and animation. It's just the way, yeah, the way people kind of uh, get information now, if you think about like on the commute, if you're on your, your smartphone, you're, and then you're 
you don't want to read loads of text, but actually you can log onto a video and watch it and you can break down some really complex information into a 30 second video and it's 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 a really good way and you can also analyze who's watching it and how and how long for video absolutely is a top tip for me but in terms of facebook it depends on the project um i i'm a firm believer that facebook and social media exists and if you're not on there then there's a vacuum and you're allowing other people to talk about your project and probably not in the way you'd want to frame it so um if if it's if it's suitable, for instance, you know where I am. As I said, there's a really nice Facebook group that you know people kind of log on and share information. Don't be scared, you know, kind of set up a, a profile for your project and uh, and sh- and share updates and news on there. Um, because as I said, if people aren't, if you're not talking about your project and you're not encouraging engagement on Facebook, other people are, and then you you're not in control of the message and you're not in control of the information then. And I remember our third mistake to avoid was calling it quits too early. So how are you guys keeping this process ongoing with HiNet? We are working on a program of ongoing engagement. So that is is all designed to kind of keep the conversation going with people. I think little and often updates, um, however small it can feel to the project team, showing people that you are still working on the project and it is still happening is really important because I think sometimes you as I said, create all this excitement around a a consultation period and then go away for months and months and months. And and often we get inquiries, um, you know, through contact centers that we might run for a project, for example, of is the thing still happening? And obviously that's the the worst place from a kind of project team or developer's perspective to be because you invest kind of lots of time and energy. And as we've talked about, helping people understand the project, building, um, support for it hopefully um and then you've kind of got people engaged and and the worst thing you can do is then sort of not channel that positivity or or use that engagement and and people think well well is the thing still happening so um yeah however small an update and i think this is why social media building what tom said is is really really helpful for that because you can put out a quick facebook post or tweet or you know update on linkedin or whatever it might be that is quite small, but just shows you're still there. It doesn't have to be, let's send out a six page newsletter to, you know, 10,000 people in the area. Little and often is okay. Well, Annabelle, Tom, thank you so much for being our masters who've taught us all about public consultation in this masterclass episode. You were amazing. I'm giving you a round of applause. Hopefully the mic picks that up. It's not too long yet. Thanks, Julia. Yeah. So thank you so much for letting us know all the basics, which is, you know, what is a consultation? The fact that it can be so much more than just a regulatory exercise. It can be a real chance to, to help engage the community and get them on board, as well as help them influence your scheme to make it the best possible project imaginable. We've learned our three key mistakes to avoid. We, we know that we need to make sure we know our audience, which can be done in a variety of ways. We know that you can't just do a one-size-fits-all approach. And we also know that it's more than just one single event or just a restricted time frame. Consultations and engagement can really continue on throughout the lifetime of a project, and it should, actually. And then we heard a lot about HINA and how you guys have put these tips into practice, including using videos to help explain a really complex topic. So thank you so much again. 
And thank you, the listener, for tuning in for today's episode. I'm Julia Hatmaker with Place Northwest, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about Copper Consultancy, head over to copperconsultancy.com. And if you want to learn more about the built environment, be sure to subscribe to Place Northwest podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again so much for listening and have a great day.